This is Sugar Ray E, host of Ray E's Boom Boom Room, and you're tuned in to Underground Opolis. It's Wednesday night, seven o'clock. You know what that means? It's time for it's time for our next for our guest. Before we get into that, I'm going to do a little shout out here to uh, 
Dino Gonzalez, fellow podcaster. He's the host of the of the Huh podcast out of New York. Uh, passed away suddenly earlier this week. Just want to shout out if, you, if you've listened to the show on on Spotify, you've heard him talk. You've heard him. Uh, he 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 does the joke of the week segment for me, or did do the joke of the week segment for me. Some and so rest in peace, Dino. I don't know what happened. I just know he suddenly he suddenly passed away. So, all right, we'll get past that. Just wanted to give that a little shout out because I, I really did like the guy. Never got to meet him in person. However, we did talk about podcasting a lot. <laughs> well, our guest tonight, Wax Mechanics, this man of mystery that I can find very little out about <laughs> except later. But he, we're, we're going to get him to spill it all tonight, I hope. He, he's done some really cool stuff. He played with a band called Nitro back in the day. Um, they were did really great. They got kind of popular in Europe. And we're just going to go ahead and bring him on, man. Hey, What's up, Rob? Wax? Hey, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. No, man. It's a, a other way around, man. It really is. Hey, I didn't know about the passing of Dino, so uh, let me at least take a moment to uh, give you my sincere condolences and anybody who is a friend or a family. I didn't know him. Uh, I know that kind of stuff hurts. and We all go through it, so um, I'm with you, brother. All right. I got a little reflection on these. Let me take those off. <laughs> I thought you looked cool, man. <laughs> well, I can put them back on. <laughs> Let's go without them for a little while. <laughs> if you start feeling uh, uh, a little insecure, maybe I'll put them back on. <laughs> I don't think I'll make you feel that way. I don't. I don't how, <laughs> well, if you could name somebody that uh, you maybe saw at a concert on even on TV or whatever, they said, and you said, you know what, this this guy's badass. I want to do that. I want to be on that stage. I want. I want to. That I want to do that. I want to be that musician. Oh, Who yeah. That Absolutely. Uh, this isn't going to make a big impression on people. So there are there, there are two answers to that. The first is I was probably about, uh, I don't know, 14 or 15 years old. And I grew up in central Pennsylvania. And uh, at my high school, a local band came on stage and they were incredibly good. And even though I'd been exposed to music quite a bit and had been collecting records and had been following music quite a bit, uh, these guys, I saw them in complete control of their concert. They were playing mostly cover songs and a few originals. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, I got to play with them a bit later on, but that made a huge impression on me. The band, unknown to your listeners, I'm sure, but it was really important to me, which was an inflection point uh, to me, so I decided that I really wanted to do this, and I was again 14 or 15 years old. The band was a local band called Pyramid, and eventually, I said all that to say that the lead singer of Pyramid, who impressed me so much at that age, eventually we tapped to be the lead singer of Nitro in 1981, and his name was Dana Confer. So, those guys were great, and they just blew me away. and it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And my first concert I went to was at the Penn State University. And uh, it was 
probably about 1977, and it was the Talking Heads. Now, I know that's not too heavy rock, but they had uh, some really interesting stuff at the time, and you took what you could get in central PA, right? So they came through, and uh, I grew up about 10 miles away from the Penn State University, so I got myself some tickets and went, and just the whole experience of being at a concert like that was really unique. And that solidified it. So I was probably a two-year span between that first initial being blown away at a concert at a high school by Pyramid and Dana Confer and John Hendershot and uh, Farley Hill. Those guys, they are uh, famous for me, but not too famous for your listeners. And then when I went to see uh, the talking heads at the Penn State University, uh, I walked out of that concert at the Penn State University, which the place probably has, I don't know, maybe between five and 10,000 people that were there. I just, I could barely talk. Uh, it was an experience that really was an inflection point for me. Right on. So, man, you got to see the talking head. <laughs> yeah, that was really, you know, it was really great. Um, I wasn't a big fan of theirs. You know, I knew the stuff casually from the radio, but I wasn't a huge fan. As I said, I went because I could go. Uh, got some tickets somehow from a friend or a friend's brother or something. I didn't buy them. I do remember that. So I went and that was an interesting experience. And it was really a, uh, it was a critical moment for me. And every sort of show that I played that had more than a couple of people in front of me, uh, there was always this element, this recollection of that show at the, the Penn State University in Talking Heads. It was probably about 19, early 1977. It was the winter. So it was you know, January, February or something like that. Uh, but it stuck with me ever since. Oh, I bet. So you weren't the singer of Nitro? No, <laughs> I was the drummer, frankly. So Nitro yeah. started in 1980 in central Pennsylvania. And uh, we were just a regular bar band that got together, uh, you know, a uh, garage band. Uh, it was formed by uh, John Hazel and Brad Gensmore. John Hazel is the guitar player. Brad Gensmore is the uh, bass player. And uh, they formed the band. And then in the summer of 80, I uh, auditioned as a drummer and then somehow convinced them uh, – against their better judgment to have me on to beat the skins. And uh, then in 81, we uh, enlisted this guy I mentioned uh, who was, who impressed me in the band Pyramid. And that was Dana Confort. And he was this quintessential front man. You know, he had the look, he could sing, he had the attitude. So it was that early 80s and he had some grit to him and he brought some interesting influences as well. I was doing most of the writing of the original stuff with John Hazel. So, uh, I would write the stuff with John. We would give it to Dana and Brad, and uh, they would add their uh, their flavor as well. So it was pretty pretty nice democracy we had there. I sung backing vocals. When we go in the studio, Brad and Dana and I would sing the backing vocals. Didn't want to get a microphone close to John Hazel because that would be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> what made you transition to start singing then? Well, I never really had a problem with it. Um, it just it wasn't my instrument of choice. Um, uh, the reason that I uh, ended up doing solo work like I'm doing now is because I was doing most of the writing with Nitro and uh, uh, was doing backing vocals live and in the studio. And then uh, we were finished up. We, we eventually got uh, we released an independent record. Uh, it got some uh, notice overseas. We got signed to a European label, released a record there. And probably about 1985, we were uh, pretty much finished with our run because we never got that big tour or the, the next record deal. So the label that we signed with was relatively small. So uh, we didn't get another uh, big push, you know, didn't hook up with 
a big tour, uh, didn't get to uh, hook up with a big management company. We were in central PA and living in the area of the U.S. that you do, you know that unless you're in New York or you're in Los Angeles or you're in Nashville or you're in London, that it's scraping along like the rest of the guys out there and gals, which is great. But uh, so we didn't have that next inflection point. And we decided that, uh, you know, we didn't get another record deal. And by that time, we were finished and we decided to go on with our lives. But Nitro is still a band and we do some releases, uh, some reissues and things like that. So uh, we don't have anything in the fire right now. Said all that to say that as I was writing all this stuff for Nitro with John Hazel and uh, Dana Pomfer would bring some in occasionally. So we did the uh, lion's share, John and I. The songs would pile up, and I've always been a songwriter, so I never stopped doing it. So from probably 1975 until today, I've been writing songs, and they have a tendency to pile up. So as these Nitro reissues were, were going out over the years, uh, up and through the 2000s, uh, last one we had, I think, was 2018. We uh, reissued some Nitro stuff. So uh, I was continually writing songs, and they piled up, and uh, then eventually uh, uh, elect. Uh, Electric Talon Records in Philadelphia asked me if I wanted to do a solo album of these uh, songs that I was putting together. So I was writing them, I was recording them, and uh, hooked up with Electric Talon, and uh, they eventually said, hey, let's uh, put out a solo record, and you have mobocracy, and that's what we're talking about. I've been doing the Wax Mechanics thing for about 10 years, though. I'll go out and I'll busk around live, um, and have been recording uh, for at least that long. But uh, this is the first serious solo album that I've had out in a while. Did you play drums on it too? I did. So, uh, <laughs> hey, that's what I can bring. So I'm smart enough to know that uh, I'm not the best uh, guitar player uh, and uh, the best bassist. So uh, long story short is I, I like to bring my friends in and I can tap on, uh, tap into that kind of thing. And the record sounds like it does because I've surrounded myself with really good players and uh, the people that are doing the technical heavy lifting are really great as well. And I joke about it, that, but it's really true that I'm the weakest link in that chain for sure. Although I kind of think the stuff up, I have the general idea, I'll bring it into the folks. And uh, it's kind of a dictatorship. So I, I kind of tell them what to do. In Nitro, it's a democracy. You know, you have to get in there and fight it out for your own ideas and identity. But uh, when I'm doing the solo record, uh, I'm able to dictate that. So played the drums on it, played some acoustic guitar, played some electric guitar. I uh, also did all the lead vocals, some backing vocals, but I enlisted a whole lot of other folks that are really great. Tom Altman is my secret weapon guitar player and bassist, a great Philadelphia guitarist. I have some of the members of Crowbot helping me out on this. Now, Crowbot is a uh, real band that does a real uh, career. So they're signed to Mascot Records. They're great, and they've got about four records under their belt. And uh, Brandon Yeagley and Chris Bishop helped me out on quite a few of the songs on there as well. So sonically, the thing is great because of the great people I surrounded myself with. Um, Mobocracy, that's just a great title. How'd you come up with that? Well, I started to write these songs probably about 2015. And then up until 2020, uh, when it was released, it was released in November of 2020. So... Uh, I had just been working on it. And I hadn't had a record deal up uh, at that point. So I was just working on songs and the songs sort of uh, started to reflect the times that we found ourselves in, you know, socially, politically, economically. I've been on both ends of the political spectrum. I've been conservative at times and I've been liberal at times. I've been, 
you know, relatively middle class at times, and I've been dirt poor at times. So I know what that whole spectrum kind of feels like politically and socially and economically. Now, uh, you know, I grew up uh, blue collar, sort of white trash in some small town in the middle of central Pennsylvania. So I know what that feels like. I've been educated at some of the best universities in America, and I'm considered a professional now. So I have a Clark Kent uh, as an engineer. So I know what that feels like to have a profession. But I've also I know what it likes. I know what it's like to uh, be scraping from paycheck to paycheck because that's the kind of people that I came from. So these songs kind of reflected all of that. And I was feeling the, the, the times that we were, we were in and, and all of the anger and the aggression and the tension that was in America from about 2015 up until about 2020. Now, unless you're living on another planet in another solar system, you're going to know what I'm talking about. We've all felt it. And we've all kind of had to choose sides. Um, and I wanted to make sure that, the, that I didn't choose a side. I wanted the record to reflect America. I didn't want it to take a stance uh, on one end or the other. So... As the song started to reflect all this aggression in the atmosphere of America, I was looking for a title, and the title popped into my head one day, and Mobocracy is ruled by the mob, and that's what it felt like to me. I don't know about anybody else, but given what happened January 6th, I think we can all kind of agree that it was an appropriate title for the songs that I ended up putting on the record. So I wrote about a dozen of them, uh, showed them to Tom Altman, my guitarist and uh, the producer, uh, that I was working with electric and uh, we all decided, Hey, these are the ones that should go on it. And, um, uh, I wanted it to be a concise statement and mobocracy felt like it was right. So the universe was kind of working with me. I think it feels like it was, uh, so it's kind of like without getting too arty farty about it. It feels like it's a record for and of its time. I didn't set out to do that. The songs kind of wanted to be that. And that's what they all. They took on a form of their own. I'm, That'll be one of my next questions here. Do you have a, oh, Tom Altman says, thanks for the plug. I don't know if you can see it right on the screen right there. <laughs> yeah, Tom, checks in the mail, right, buddy? So, Tom, oh, hope he doesn't mind me putting his comment up on the screen. <laughs> no, not at all. Tom's a great guy, excellent guitar player, uh, amazing guitar player. I've known Tom for more than 30 years. He's a great guy. He's a great hang, super dude, um, and just a magnificent guitarist and a bass player. Uh, I have some other folks on the on the record as well. Pops Sewell and um, uh, Chris Bishop play guitar as well. But uh, you played Victorious. Tom just killed that song. Just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> on that. So uh, that's what I mean. I try to sound, surround myself with people that are better than me, more talented than me. I uh, get them in the room. I give them a song and I get out of the way. <laughs> Do you have a creative process that you typically use? Yeah, most of the time... Uh, we're here. I'm in the in the fun uh, man cave that I have uh, here in my home outside of Philadelphia. What I'll do is really simple: is uh, whether I like to or not, there are guitars laying around my house, and uh, I'll pick them up occasionally, and I'll start humming and strumming along, and eventually songs will will appear. I, I try not to force it. I let it happen organically because I gotta tell you, man. If I never write another song, I got enough songs to make plenty of albums. So anybody that's a songwriter, but you kind of do it all the time. And uh, I, I make this statement, they're kind of like shark's teeth. You know, there's one behind the other. So uh, I'm currently writing three or four songs now, and uh, um, I, I don't try to write them. But I sit around with an acoustic guitar, and I'll write them. Uh, sometimes the words come some first, sometimes the melody comes first, sometimes the guitar parts come first. 
but then eventually, I usually take a complete song that I've written somewhere here and, and around my house and around my travels uh, on little scratches, scratch pieces of paper, uh, and I will uh, put them together, and then I'll massage them for a while, and then I'll take them to Tom Altman or my uh, producer friend, Electric, and I'll say, what do you think of this? And at that point, we'll say, yeah, this needs to go here. This could change like that. And, oh, this sounds like a rock song. Tempo should be like this. Or this sounds like an acoustic song. should go like that. And that's typically my process. And then we build from there. And uh, that's how, for instance, Victorious happened exactly like that. I wrote it literally sitting right behind where I am uh, over a couple of days watching a bunch of football games and watching a bunch of uh, uh, newscasts about what crazy stuff was going on. So uh, it's got a bit of a duality to it. And that's how I do it. Um, Nitro stuff is a little different. I bring in a general idea, and then it was a democracy. But right now, it's a, a dictatorship. And what Wax says goes. <laughs> you said you might have a story about behind Victorious. Oh yeah. So Victorious was. Uh, it was. I wrote that probably about 2017. So. Uh, I was sitting here, and uh, I'm being inundated by uh, the stuff that's coming on, you know, Fox and CNN and all this other stuff. I'm a, I'm an avid news watcher. I like to keep my finger on the pulse of stuff, and I'll read newspapers and magazines, and then I sift it, and I'm a relatively, you know, I'm not the brightest guy on the planet, but I'm not the stupidest either, so I take everything in from all perspectives. So I was taking that in, and at the same time, I'm a huge football fan and baseball fan and uh, watch sports, basketball. And uh, I'm watching this football game one day, and I said, and they're playing all these great tunes, you know, they Crazy Train, Welcome to the Jum Jungle, Back in Black, all those tunes they play at the football games. And I'm waiting for something relatively current to come on. And I'm thinking, where are these really great songs? Welcome to the Jungle is probably the most current one that they play. Sometimes they play Seven Nation Army by White Stripes. That's a little more current. So uh, a little bit uh, after that, I I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, Somebody needs to write the new We Are the Champions. And I thought, I'm going to give this a crack. <laughs> so I gave it a crack, and Victorious kind of came out. And uh, I didn't have the verses. I just kind of had the verse or the uh, the chorus. And then I said, well, you know, I don't want this to be some sort of uh, uh, superficial rah-rah song and all this stuff from CNN and, and uh, Fox were coming at me too. So it has a bit of a duality to it. And basically, it uh, wants to do two things. So when I was putting the record together, I needed a song that was had this primal sort of response. I love those sort of anthemic songs that I just described. You know, I'm like everybody else that goes to a football game or a basketball game. Whenever somebody, my home team wins, I want to start standing up and shouting and thumping and hollering. And I'm going to sing along with We Are the Champions and We Will Rock You like everybody else does. So I thought it'd be fun and it'd be a challenge as a songwriter to see if I could write something like that. But I wanted it to be, uh, I wanted to have a dual purpose. And the other side of it was, First, I wanted it to be primal and singable and anthemic, and you could take it at a sort of a surface level. The other thing I wanted it to do was to be able to uh, uh, reflect the times that we found ourselves in, because it was going to be part of this record that I was working on called Mobocracy. So I wrote the verses to uh, this notion that those that have gained power and didn't respect it should beware of uh, wielding that power, and that uh, bad things typically happen to people that wield power arrogantly and don't respect it. So that's what the video was about. If you've seen the video, we did a video for it. Uh, it reflects those kinds of things. Things can go pretty side or sideways pretty quickly if you're not respecting the power you're given. 
So with great power comes great responsibility. That's a cliche, but that's pretty much what I wanted to get across with it. And folks could take it on a surface level as well. And I took it to machine, I'm sorry, I took it to electric and uh, he said, yeah, this is, this needs to be tweaked a little bit. So he helped me to tweak it and, and he co-wrote it with me. And he's a producer and an engineer in Philadelphia. And then we got Tom involved and uh, we uh, bang zoom, we took off. So I recorded that at about four different studios. Now, the short version of this very long story is recorded the drums at one studio, recorded the bass and the guitars and the vocals at another studio and uh, recorded the, the tribal drums at a, a third studio. So this thing's getting really long winded, right? This, this, this song that I'm putting together, but it seems to be the one that is probably going to be the same, one of the singles. So we decided to work on it really well or really uh, uh, diligently and try to make it come out as, as good as it could. So I was also, I wanted to make sure that it had some, uh, some, some, some real um, uh, spectacular intro intro. And I'm a fan of Led Zeppelin. So, you know, immigrant song by Robert Plant, where he does a really high note at the beginning. And then uh, I was also listening to Greta Van Fleet. We all know those guys are sort of uh, Zeppelin uh, aficionados. And there was that new song of theirs that had come out at the time. It was called Highway Song. And the lead singer of that, this young guy, did this really great searing, howling intro. I thought, I'm going to give that a shot. This uh, might be in my wheelhouse. I'm going to give it a try. So I was really... Uh, apprehensive about trying to sing that note. So I'm practicing it, practicing it. And eventually I have to go into the studio to cut it. And I'm on my way to the studio and I say, I don't think I'm warmed up enough for this thing. So I practice a bit in my car. So I pull into what's or the equivalent here in uh, Southeastern Pennsylvania of a 7-Eleven, which is called Wawa. And the Wawa's here have these big parking lots and you can pull in, get yourself a coffee and sit there and uh, relax a bit, get some gas. So I pulled in there I start to practice this really long note. And if you listen to the song, Victorious, at the very beginning, there's a bit of a scream, and that's me. So we put all this effort, went to all these studios, and did all this intricate work. And Tom did great bass and great guitar solos. And I brought the boys from Crowbot in on to sing backing vocals and play rhythm guitar. And all kinds of stuff is going on. So I said, I have to really have to do this uh, as good as I can. So I was a little concerned. So I'm practicing. And. Uh, it's kind of okay, and I'm finally feeling it a little bit. And if you've ever been in a studio, and you're pretty smooth behind a mic, but if you get in front of a studio that's supposed to record music, you got to hit the notes, and you really got to be on your game. So I was there, and uh, I was a little apprehensive about doing this and really hitting it. So uh, as I'm practicing, I thought, let me see what it sounds like on my phone, because I really couldn't think about it and do it at the same time. So I put my phone out. I do a couple takes of it. And I said, hmm, that's not too bad. Okay, I think I got it. Get back in or get back on the road and head to the studio. And I show up and Electric says, okay, you ready to cut this? No pressure. I said, eh, let, me, let me just show you what I got and see if it's long enough. So I played it for him on my phone and he says, hey, it's not too bad. He goes, uh, you know what? Let's just use that. I'm like, really? <laughs> I said, dude, I recorded it in my car about 10 minutes or, or you know, about 20 minutes ago in the Wawa parking lot. You want to put this on a real record with all this other stuff we went through. He goes, let me see what I can do with it. So he puts it in there. He does his, uh, his engineering magic to it. And voila, at the very beginning and uh, somewhere at the end as well, is this really long note of me yelling victorious. 
And uh, I've been asked about it quite a bit on these podcasts. How did you do that? Where did you record it? What kind of microphone did you use? And I'm like, guys, I hate to disappoint you. I recorded it on my phone, in my car, at a 7-Eleven parking lot. <laughs> and they're like, and you put all this other effort into the rest of the song. I said, there you go, kids. You don't have to have a big recording studio to do any of it. Just do it well. <laughs> so, uh, Victoria, whenever I hear that song and that intro, I think to myself, I go back to this uh, uh, Wawa parking lot on the way to the studio. And I sang it into my phone three or four times. And Electric took it, and he used it. And there it is. So, uh, we spent all this time on this song, and I recorded the intro on my phone. Silly. But there you have it. <laughs> so, do you have a favorite show you'd like to tell us about? Yes. When I was in Nitro, this was probably about 1983. So, we were playing, we were opening some shows at that point for a, uh, a band that was on, on Atlantic Records, and they were a band called Kicks. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They were a big TV band. You know them? Yep. Kicks is great. So they're in our neck of the woods here in Pennsylvania and Maryland, you know, New York, New Jersey area. So uh, they were pretty big there in the 80s, uh, probably mid to late 80s. They really got some traction. So early on in their career, uh, before they got to that MTV status, they were touring around our neck of the woods and we kind of got to be friends with them. And uh, we got to do a couple of shows with them, three or four shows, a couple of thousand people, the biggest crowds we'd ever played. to. So uh, um, I was talking to the drummer, Jimmy. Chocolate was his nickname. And I told him, I said, you know, the crowd's really big on these two show on these on this first show. And it was the first one that we played where there are a few thousand people. So I was a little spooked. And I went to Jimmy and I said, uh, I said, Jimmy, I said, I I'm really I'm really concerned about the size of this crowd. I've never played in front of this crowd before. He goes, Tim, just forget about it and, and just close your eyes. When you get out there, uh, first three songs, play them with your eyes closed and you'll be fine. So. Jimmy sees that I'm really upset about uh, or a little apprehensive about playing this big show with him. So Jimmy disappears and uh, we open up the show for them. And I go out to sit behind my drum kit and Jimmy's walking past me and he's got a whole bunch of drumsticks in his hands. And I get out to my kit and I find that there are no drumsticks at my kit. That Jimmy has taken all of my drumsticks. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> and from the side of the stage, he turns around, he smiles at me, flips me the bird, and throws me a pair of drumsticks. <laughs> so, and that put me at ease. Uh, for a second there, it was sheer terror because uh, we're about ready to start up, and there are no drumsticks there. And chocolates tossing drumsticks at me from the side of the stage. So I was probably, I don't know, 20 years old at the time, I think. So, and they, they had already had a record deal and, and he was just screwing with me. So that was a lot of fun. And that told me not to take myself too seriously. And I've actually used that uh, chocolate uh, trick on some other guys that opened up for us. So it flows downhill. So uh, anybody that I did that to, I apologize, but it's the drummer from Kicks. It's his problem because he turned, he turned me on to it. It was a lot of fun. It put me at ease. So thanks, Chocolate, if you're out there, buddy. Yeah, well, do you prefer the studio or the stage now? I have to be honest with you. Um, we're all hankering to get back out there playing uh, because we've been, we've been taken away. You know, it's been taken away from us. Uh, 
I kind of forget what it's like to play live. You know, I busk around a little bit, but it's not the same. You don't have the same, you know, we like to crank it up to 11 kind of thing. And uh, the smell of the places, the sound of the places, you know, people being uh, slightly out of their element and everybody celebratory. And I kind of miss that. Um, being in the studio is one thing. They're two different animals. You use different muscles in your head to do them. So where being in the studio is like this intricate work that you have to really pay attention to and be calm and be on your game. And you kind of have to do it once really well because that's going to be on the record. Uh, when you play live, you can kind of relax, you can stretch out. And I really like that. I like the creative part because pr primarily I'm a songwriter. People that know me, know me as a songwriter and that's my first uh, love. But if you get out there and play in front of people, it's a different animal and you get to see how that stuff is elastic and can be stretched out. And we're really eager to do that. And, uh, I'm talking with, uh, Tom right now about, uh, us when we're going to be able to get out and obviously we can't do that until we're sa safely vaccinated and everybody is going to be safe. So I, I appreciate some people aren't going to be vaccinated, but I'm not going to argue with any flat earthers about this. <laughs> right, so right. Whenever we can, whenever we can be safe, that's when we're going to do it. It's probably going to be 2022. I think maybe 2021 right now we haven't booked anything. Uh, but I like them both. Right now, I'm kind of focusing, trying to make lemonade out of lemons. You know, we've got all this time, so I'm recording some stuff, and we're going to uh, drop another record here in the summer. So, Mobocracy is uh, was, was released in uh, November, yeah, late November. So, probably around July or August, we've got uh, I've got something else coming out. Electric Talent is going to be releasing uh, a record that has it's called a split. It's got they'll have two songs from me on the record and two songs from a label mate. Now, these are these cool dudes from New Jersey called Troll Teeth. So these uh, uh, raucous stoner groovy guys who do this really interesting uh, uh, heavy music has a Black Sabbath sort of edge to it. Uh, I'm not going to say any more about it because I haven't heard the new songs, but I know that these guys, uh, Mo and Thuds, and those guys are really talented and they'll come out with some heavy stuff. So I'm going to bring two songs to this and they're going to bring two songs to it. It's going to be an EP. And uh, we have a title for it, but I'm going to hold off on that right now. I'm going to be contributing two songs. And uh, those are, uh, uh, I'm working on them now with Tom, with uh, the same crew of miscreants that I worked on with Mobocracy. This is going to be a little bit different. So my audience should know that uh, they're not going to be getting Mobocracy 2.0. We're going to be doing something a little, uh, a little different that's going to be fun. It's going to be slamming. It's going to be howling. And those people that have heard it said, you're not going to lose any people with it. They're just going to have to take a breath and uh, collect themselves, but uh, they're, they're going to like it. So I said all that to say that uh, we're going to be doing that in uh, probably July or August, and you'll be one of the first people that I come to uh, with with it whenever it's it's mixed and ready to go. So uh, Troll Teeth and me on Electric Talon Records, July or August. Those, those folks at Electric Talent Records are really cool. And uh, hopefully in 2022, I'll be coming out with a standalone record as well. I'm working on that sort of in parallel with this split that I'm doing. So uh, if all things go well, uh, you'll have new music from me in July or August. And then uh, new music from me in early 2022. And uh, we'll see where we go from there. Do you have someone that you most admire, a musician that you admire more than anybody? Oh my gosh, that list is really long, but let me see if I can answer the question for you. Because I see myself predominantly as a songwriter, uh, that's my first sort of job as uh, an artist. My job is to write a song, right? That's what I do naturally. 
I take things in, I filter it, I give it back. I make the ordinary extraordinary, I make the extraordinary ordinary. That's what I think my job is. Now, who does that the best? There are probably three or four that are at the top of my list in no particular order other than this first guy. Bob Dylan is the guy at the top of the heap. Oh, Somewhere yeah. In there is Paul McCartney, Neil Young, Paul Simon, and the list goes on from there. But I'll stop there because there are so many others that I, I love and admire and have learned from. And I'm not holding myself up to any of those guys. I, I'm, I'm, uh, my work is pale compared to that. But the, those are the those are the professors in my university of songwriting. Dylan's definitely at the top. Uh, love him. Just can listen to him casually. Can think about him. Uh, McCartney can do everything and anything. That guy did prototype metal with Helter Skelter uh, to this Baroque pop of Eleanor Rigby, and the man is still going. So he can play any instrument and can sing in any range of any genre. So mm -hmm. Neil Young is huge for me as well. Well, what's your favorite Mobocracy song right now? Right now, it has to be Black. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the last song on the, on the record, and the reason is that it's so different, and it's uh, it is uh, it, it kind of sums up the record. Now, the reason that I like it is a couple of reasons. First of all, just sort of viscerally, it's it's a it's an interesting song, and it's got this fun time signature, and it's got this exotic little bend to it. And lyrically, it kind of said everything I wanted to say about the record and uh, how uh, those people that I was thinking about when I was making the record are uh, being manipulated by. Uh, the dark forces of the world. Without getting too arty farty about it, uh, Black really uh, summed up the record pretty good, uh, stylistically and thematically. And another thing that I really like about it is that I co-wrote it with the guys from Crowbot. So I keep talking about these fellas, and if you haven't checked them out, do it. It's C-R-O-B-O-T. These guys are great. They do this amazingly groovy, funky, heavy, uh, interesting stuff that's contemporary and looks back at the same time. They've been able to shift time in some interesting ways, and they are just amazingly talented. Uh, the guy who sings, Brandon Yeagley, is just phenomenal. One of the best vocalists of his generation, and I would hold put him up against anybody. The guitar player, Chris Bishop, has all kinds of influences that I, I just wouldn't even be able to, 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 to talk about. But I had this song partially written, and I brought it to them, and uh, I said, hey, guys, uh, I'd like you to be on the song, and but I'm not really sure if I, I finished it. So we sat together, sat sort of nose to nose, and I had a chance to write with these guys. And um, without puffing them up too much, they write these incredibly good songs on their own, and I was able to write with them, and it was a thrill for me to do it. So I like Black for that reason as well. And it also sort of hints to one of my really great loves, which is acoustic music. I just mentioned Dylan and Neil Young and Paul Simon. And they're predominantly acoustic artists, even though they do different stuff. So that's uh, and some of that mid '70s Zeppelin that I always love. You know, you listen to Zeppelin Four, and you've got all this heavy stuff on there, like uh, Four Sticks, and Rock and Roll, and Black Dog, and When the Levee Breaks. But also, you've got this interesting acoustic stuff in the middle that is uh, going to California and those kinds of mellower songs. So I wanted it to also have that element to it as well. So black is a favorite of mine right now. I don't know if that's really a, a mellow song. <laughs> oh, no. No. It's, I mean, it's acoustic and all, but it's and it's fucking incredible. Excuse my language. <laughs> it's it's absolutely incredible. And you've got a video for it now. You've done lots of things with it. And it's I'm, 
I'm thrilled that you like it. And I have to be honest with you, uh, I was I wanted to make sure I wanted to make sure that any audience that followed me knew that they were going to be in for this kind of a trip that I was going to do these kinds of things. It wasn't I wasn't testing them or or I wasn't sort of being uh, you know snarky about it. It was it was a statement to say I do this, and if you're going to be following me, this is what we're going to be doing. Uh, occasionally. Now, I'm predominantly a rock guy. My heart is in guitars, bass, and drums, and howling, cranked to 11. I love that. have always loved it. I'm never going to get away from that uh, in a big way. But uh, the same way that you had Immigrant Song from Zeppelin, you've also got Going to California on Zeppelin 4. So uh, those are the kinds of things that I, I think that we're not really challenging anybody. It's, we're not, it's not a stretch. Uh, people have done it before. Uh, me and done it better than me, but uh, it touches on those things that I really like, and my audience will hear some more of it eventually too. But uh, right now, uh, Mobocracy is known as a howling slam and record, and I haven't really gotten a lot of pushback. Even some of the genre-specific metalheads uh, have gotten in touch with me and said, "You know, I, I didn't really like this to start with, but uh, it's kind of grown on me. So uh, I'll keep doing it." So that was a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, I liked everything I heard. I liked it right away. I didn't, it didn't need to grow on me. <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks. I'm, I'm really thrilled that, uh, that, that you like it, and, and I appreciate that. That's important rocket fuel for songwriters like me. I can't believe I'm about to ask this question, but... Lay it on me. Be, be it from, being from central Pennsylvania, who do you root for? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to be honest with you here. So... I live in the Philadelphia area, right? So I, I've, I've lived here for about 30 years, and you cannot come here and root for anybody but the Eagles and the Sixers and the Phillies and the Flyers unless you want to get in a fight. So for the past 30 years, I've been a, I've been a, I've been a fan of the Philly franchises. Now, I said that to say that I grew up in central Pennsylvania. So um, that's right smack dab in the middle. And we were Steelers fans. We were Pirate fans. We were Pen Penguin fans. So part of me now still, I still have in my heart and my soul uh, a Steelers fan. But uh, when I'm down here in the Philly area, I do root for them as well. I think it's like asking you, which kid do you love the most? <laughs> so uh, I can, there's room in my heart and in my spirit for both teams. So uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to be part or, or, or be a Steelers fan and a Pirates fan in the seventies, whenever they had those dynasties, which were great. So I uh, loved that, collected all that stuff. I was a big jock, a huge, huge sports fan and uh, just uh, loved those guys and um, idolized them. Went to quite a few Pirate games as a kid. Loved that stuff. Before we wrap this up, you go, you want to plug in all, all your social information, anything else you want to plug in right now, Go feel free to. Absolutely. So, uh, in this uh, wonderful uh, uh, internet world, the only place that you can really keep track of anybody is online, right? So not in magazines, not in print. I mean, if you're lucky, you're in the newspapers, but I'm not Taylor Swift. So uh, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So you can find me on Facebook. That's Waxim Mechanics. That's Facebook.com slash Waxim Mechanics. W-A-X-I-M-M-E-K-A-N-I-X. I'm also on Twitter, uh, Instagram. And uh, Bandcamp, you can find me, waxmechanics.bandcamp.com. You can get the record there. I really appreciate it, Rob. People like you keep people like me in business. So thank you very much. 
Oh man. So everybody be sure to check out, check out all the social media, check out the, the record mobocracy. Cause it, um, t- it is really badass. <laughs> if, if, you, wow. if you've been here from the beginning and heard victorious, he's like the whole records that, that damn good. You know, it really is. Uh, you know, you can't you can't get six better songs. It's as far if you ha- if you're watching, you haven't liked the Undergroundopolis page. Will you will you please like it or subscribe on YouTube? Hit hit us up on Spotify. Every-
Yo, this is Derek from the Clover Creek Bastards. And I was at a show the other night. Somebody offered me some acid. So I was like, yeah, I'll buy some acid. And he fucking sold it to me. It was paper acid. And I looked at it and it said, you're ugly and nobody likes you. It was amino acid. That is all our time we have for now. Thank you for listening to Undergroundopolis. Remember, we do this every Wednesday night, bringing you new and exciting artists every week. Be sure to hit up their websites and social media and stream or download their music. If you like this show, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, any streaming platform, and leave us a review as well. I'm your host, Rob Lyon, signing off. <laughs>